Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Are We Done edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell, and with me in the newsroom studio today are my colleagues, columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Provincial Affairs reporter Mary Mibrahim. Hi. And Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. We are recording on Friday, May 8th, instead of our usual Thursday get-together, because it was another week where it seemed to be worth it to wait that extra day, uh, just so we could offer a most complete analysis of a week in politics. I want to spend this week dealing with three questions about the Alberta Legislature session. Are we done? What on earth got done? And what's going to happen next? Last week at this time, I believe we still thought there were at least a couple more weeks ahead in the session. Where do we sit now, Miriam? Do we have anything new to look forward to, or are we done? Oh, we're done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They adjourned the session uh, yesterday after question period. Um, uh, Yeah, the government uh, made a decision to to wrap things up. They were able to get the rest of the bills that they wanted to get through the House, through the House very quickly uh, this week. Um, And it uh, didn't uh, hurt that they got a few of the controversial pieces of legislation out of the House and over to a committee, uh, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, So yeah, so they did wrap up. It is uh, earlier than we expected. I mean, the session had been scheduled. It could have gone until June 5th. I don't think anyone was really expecting it to go that long um, because of the PC leadership race, which starts uh, the nominations open on May 15th. So I think most of us were thinking that it might go uh, through to next week. But we got a surprise uh, this week when we found out that they'd be ending after question period on Thursday. So why would they want to wind down so fast? I mean, isn't it good <laughs> to show your constituents like, look, here we are in the legislature working for you. Why? Why wrap it up almost a month early? Well, they're getting up because of the leadership race. It was very clear. Um, they were thinking of even going next week, but a month ago, when we, we saw the date set by the PC party that nominations would open May 15th, uh, we asked Hancock, will you be wrapped up by then? He said, yes. Didn't even pause, didn't even think. And he said, yep, we will be. And then the question was the optics of this. This is the government, in a sense, speeding things up to make sure it's out in time for the PC leadership race to start. And it is. Um, You can argue that they normally will break after the summer before the long weekend in May. But they were in a real hurry to get out the door. And they were ramming things through this Bill 12, for example, this omnibus (laughs) amendment. It's like like 16 different amendments, basically, different pieces of legislation. They put it all in one big sausage and just rammed it through the legislature to get out early. And could they have spent more time? Absolutely, on different issues. You betcha. But they wanted to get out, and this has happened before. Uh, the PC party trumps the government when it comes to issues like uh, leadership race. And this is, I mean, this has to be the worst session ever in the history of the PC dynasty. I mean, no wonder they can't wait for it to be over. It's like the nightmare that never ended. In this particular week, it's it's been hard to know where to start. So I thought I would just ask, start by asking each of you, what do you think was the most significant event of the past week in Alberta politics, either in the legislature or outside? I, I think pulling the pensions off the table. Like the, the Bill 9, the, the government was moving ahead with this um, reforming, to use a, a polite word, the public sector pensions. The pensions right now have a $7 billion shortfall. The government's been saying now since last year it has to try and find a way of making the pensions work, and that means reducing perhaps the benefits, making sure people can't retire as early. Big fight with the unions. Uh, they were pushing back, saying, no, the pension will work out. Just leave them alone. You had the opposition, the NDP, and the liberals fighting for the unions, and all of a sudden the Wild Rose jumped in 
and began supporting the AUP and unions saying to the government, stop being so draconian, stop ramming this through. And then this week, we actually had a, on stage, we had the uh, finance minister, Doug Horner, on stage with Guy Smith, the head of the AUPE, announcing they're delaying the, the pension reform. To me, this is a way of killing it very quietly. But this, to me, is the government backing down. Again, all roads lead to the leadership. This is them trying to smooth the way for the next leader by stopping the antagonistic um, actions towards unions. I was really surprised to see Doug Horner pull back on this because in recent months, he's been quite serious and I think sincere, that he sincerely believed that there needed to be pensions reforms and he seemed determined to, to make it happen come hell or high water. So yeah, how did we get from there to him smiling on the stage with, with Guy Smith? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, thing to, to consider when you, when you look at some of the comments that Doug Horner's made in recent weeks and then look at him standing uh, at a press conference with Guy Smith. I will say though that he did sort of seem still very committed to reforming the pensions. Okay. You know, he did still say that they do need to be, um, um, you know, that there do need to be changes made, that this isn't a, um, an issue uh, unique to Alberta, that this is something that has to, um, that's happening across the country, that sort of thing. Um, and so, I mean, it's interesting. We did see that letter from Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi come Absolutely. out uh, and, and, and it was pretty, um, scathing in terms of his analysis of how the government had sort of rolled these changes out, saying that there hadn't been enough consultation done, uh, was a bit of a contrast to Edmonton's mayor, uh, Don Iveson, and his comments on what he thought the pension changes were, which he said he didn't think that they were um, that big of a problem. Um, You know, of course, Doug Horner denied that the Nenshi letter had anything to do with the reforms, but I think it must have... uh, been a big factor. Because I think a lot of people didn't understand that these public sector pension reforms didn't just affect people who work directly for the provincial government. They affected public sector pensions all across the province. And so you're getting into cross-jurisdictional issues that are really, really tricky. But you know, I think I said, did I say two weeks ago, the last time Guy Smith had a huge victory, that they must be popping the champagne corks at AUP? I hope they got a, I hope they got a bulk discount on champagne. <laughs> What do you, I mean, other than the champagne popping, what do you think was the most significant event of the past week, Paula? You know, this is tough because I could say, Bill 11, the passage of the amendments to the Child, Youth and Family Enhancement Act, which kind of sort of uh, lift the publication ban. I could say Bill 12, that giant sausage that Graham talked about, which among many, many, many other things, consolidated a lot of financial power in the hands of Fred Horn, the health minister who will now have really micromanagement of the Alberta Health Services budget. But I would actually say that the most interesting thing in Alberta politics happened outside the legislature, and that was the announcement of this very controversial report on teaching excellence, which was a full frontal assault on the autonomy of the Alberta Teachers Association, which is going to be hugely controversial. I should think, in the conservative leadership discussion. The ATA, let's remember, was absolutely instrumental in getting Alison Redford elected leader and then elected premier. And once elected, this government went after them, guns blazing. So uh, the news broke last night that the report, which was embargoed and not shown to anybody in the educational circles, was actually circulated to people in business the week beforehand for their commentary. Uh, I saw this uh, in an article on Twitter last evening. And so I think it probably didn't have the biggest impact, but I think it's going to have the longest lasting ripple effect. 
And what about you, Mary? And what do you think was the the most significant event? I, I know you were writing a lot about pensions, so. Yes, I, I do actually think that was what, the most significant thing this week. But there were other interesting things that happened. Um, I The Bill 12 thing is really interesting to me. I mean, it, it's, it's, as Graham said earlier, a huge bill. It's got uh, tons of different amendments to... Uh, more than a dozen pieces of legislation, everything from the... Oh, the Métis Settlement Act, the, the Dower Act, it's the a Mines dog's, and Minerals yeah, Act. Yeah, it's a real dog's breakfast in there. But what I think is really interesting is a, a few things about it. One, it was introduced just this week, and then uh, it was to- rammed through the House within two days. It was passed. The Privacy Commissioner, which whose, whose office is affected by some of the amendments, came out and said uh, in, in very polite terms that she thought that there needed to be more consideration given to the language in some of these amendments, especially the ones that you know take away some of her autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and 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 those amendments sort of stem from the Medi Center's breach that we saw earlier, in which Fred Horn was very upset that he hadn't been notified, despite the fact that the legislation governing that didn't allow him to be notified. Um, and and also, it's interesting because in it are those amendments to the Marriage Act and the Vital Statistics Act, which we won't, I think, we, which we haven't heard the last of in terms of the Vital Statistics Act, because that's the the issue with transgender people wanting to be able to change the sex on their birth certificate. There, there is a community group in, in Edmonton that is upset because um, the amendments don't actually change the legislation; they just set out the process within regulations, which hasn't they haven't been drafted yet so that community is a little bit concerned about what that will end up being but of course they've also as I said taken out the definition of marriage as a heterosexual union Um, so you know that's good progress right I just want to jump in um, just to follow up on a point that um, Paula made about the um, task force on teaching excellence which sounds Orwellian to me as well uh, that I think this thing will probably die like right now it's going to go off for public consultations and uh, there's nothing actually being done right now. And I think Paula's right. If this um, becomes an issue in the leadership race, um, they want to try and, as they're trying to rebuild bridges with the AUPE and public sector unions, they're going to, I imagine, just let this one go as well. They're not going to enact any recommendations that are going to antagonize the ATA. We'll see what actually happens um, later on. But this could be an interesting issue. Another interesting issue, it wasn't to me uh, particularly important, just interesting, was Redford. Alison Redford returned to the legislature. Right. And it caused this big flurry of activity with, with the media, and we got her in the hallway for like three minutes and 52 seconds before she grew impatient with us. And are just, we done? Are we done? <laughs> and then she was gone, and she was done. And it, that's basically it. You know, there's still questions about uh, the money spent and the use of government aircraft, but, um, you know, she came in, she talked to the media, and that's, I think, basically it. Well, My favorite thing is when somebody tells you that they're not going to answer your questions because it's old news, despite the fact that they've refused to answer those questions for weeks, which was why it became old news. It's right. Well, and so she she ended up returning to the House for one day of session? She was, no, she there, was there for a several few days. days. Okay. Yep, she actually took part in some debates, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so she was there and uh, she says that she'll stay on as the MLA. We'll see if, how that works out. Um, you know, the... the if she'll step down later this year, we don't know. But um, she is back in the House, at least was back in the House for several days this and, week. And, you know, the controversy hasn't quite ended. This was also the week that we found out that the non-existent Sky Palace that was never actually built still cost $173,000 for the planning of the Sky Palace that was never built. So, you know, it's a, again, it's a very small amount of money in the great scheme of the provincial budget, but it's those little things that niggled away at at the Tories, which uh, is why another interesting issue this week was um, Hancock apologizing, and this was him distancing himself and the party from Redford. 
He did it again at the at the PC dinner in Calgary yeah, last night. He did it l- last week in Edmonton, last night in uh, in Calgary, the same sort of speech saying, you know, we're sorry. I love the quote, mistakes were made. They keep repeating <laughs> that phrase. I, I mean, do they not understand that that's become a joke in and of itself? I mean, there's, isn't there a film out right now called Mistakes Were Made <laughs> making fun of that kind of passive voice? I think we have the title for next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that could have been the title for every episode this session. On the Sky Palace, the suite at the top of the of the federal building that's being renovated that apparently was being changed so that there could be a suite for the premier. What did Alison Redford have to say about that? Because that's been one of the issues. We've never heard from her specifically about why that was needed, why they were doing that. So with her in the legislature, what explanation did we get? None, nothing, not a single word of explanation on that. When we asked her in the scrum um, in the hallways of the legislature, when we when we got the you know three minute and fifty two second scrum or whatever it was, that. That was one of the questions that was asked of her, that documents had been uh, released that showed that there was this 11th floor suite that had been planned and that her office was instrumental in its planning. Uh, and she said that that story had been told, that we had already reported that story, uh, that she had had spokespeople provide comment on that story, which I'm not really sure actually did happen. Um, and she said that she wasn't going to be adding anything more to it. Which, is, as I've said earlier, is a really convenient strategy to take when you uh, refuse to answer something, saying that you know it's weeks old now and you've already told it, and it and I'm and I'm not going to add anything more to it. Well, it's it's old because we haven't been able to ask you questions about it, and questions that is, and you, you should answer. And now she's a backbencher; she doesn't have to answer questions during <laughs> question period. Of course, there is no question period anymore because the session is over. But she didn't have to answer questions in question period, and now she's a backbencher. And now it's up to reporters if they want to try and run down the street in Calgary to try and get her to answer questions and she's been very clear she's not answering it the opposition's not going after her anymore because she's done their target is the government so when it comes to the sky palace they don't care about redford they're going after rick mciver what he knew as infrastructure minister they're going after the government saying you're all part of this culture of entitlement that would even think of actually building a sky palace um Dave Hancock made an interesting comment this week in one of the news conferences. He, he held a daily news conference. Good for him. But he said that it's a bad idea that was killed a, several, number, of a times. number of times. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so then the Wilders started to call it the zombie sky palace. Uh, they've been calling it that for a while, I will say that. But uh, I mean, and that sort of all goes back to the whole confusion over who really killed that premier's den because of course Wayne Drysdale said to begin with Wayne Drysdale who had been the former infrastructure minister before Rick McIver said you know I cancelled that project in December 2012 and then when the documents were revealed uh, Rick McIver who was the current infrastructure minister said no I cancelled that in January and then what we saw this week on his way out of the legislature as he was resigning his cabinet post was he tabled a memo written by his deputy minister on May 5th confirming for him that he in fact, canceled <laughs> the den. And this, of course, matters because, of course, among other things this week, Rick McIver uh, signaled strongly that he is also entering the... uh, Oh, no, he said it. He announced it. Signal in the sense that he held a news conference. (laughs) Well, I'm running. No, but I I, I guess technically nobody is running until May 15th. That's true. He has not handed over the $50,000 cash check to (laughs) enter the race. So beyond exploding the party and overthrowing the leader, what did the progressive conservatives accomplish this session? Is survival enough? <laughs> the, the crickets. Cue the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, they passed a budget. It's not a very good budget, but as the majority party, they passed the budget. Um, they did pass Bill 11, which, although I am very critical of many parts of the bill, 
you know, Man Meat Buller, that is a win for him that, you know, he had to convince his own caucus, I think, to move that those amendments to the to the child welfare legislation through. So that was that was a thing. And um, and interestingly, um, it, it passed with amendments that were introduced by opposition members, Carrie Toll of the Wild Rose and Rachel Notley of the NDP, which doesn't happen very often. No, that's yeah. quite rare. And they were amendments that actually, you know, improved what is an imperfect piece of legislation. So and they, that's a thing. And they did amend the Marriage Act a decade after the rest of the problem, uh, the country has <laughs> moved ahead and realized that, you know, their same-sex marriages are legal. We finally amend the Marriage Act to reflect that. Um, also, they brought in Bill 9, then back down on Bill 9, which was the, the Pension Reform mm-hmm. Act, and they basically uh, scrapped Bill 46 from the previous um, session last well, fall. You know what they did accomplish? They got a deal with the AUP, yes. which I right. think would be, uh, yes. is among the, the major achievements um, this this session. You know, By not giving necessarily them money, basically. By yeah. giving them six times more money than they said they were going to. <laughs> Right, right. I, I think realizing perhaps that arbitration was in their future. And they knew they are going to lose it in court. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure we can count that as an accomplishment. I think they were more or less forced into it by public opinion, uh, pressure from all the, the government, uh, sorry, the opposition members as well as the courts. So that's maybe more of a lesson learned that when it comes to bargaining with your public sector workers, probably bargaining is a better idea rather than just chest thumping. And yeah. Well, and Hancock actually yesterday in one of his daily news conferences did say that the relationship, um, that the government's relationship with public sector workers had been... Um, neglected and abused. Right. I'm actually a little disappointed that we didn't get to see more of a Premier Dave Hancock in question period because he kind of seemed like he was actually enjoying oh, it. Oh, absolutely. He was, he yeah. was loving it. And, yeah. and so I guess... Absolutely. I, I feel like that's a, a missed opportunity for, for Alberta a little bit. I mean, ma- performance art is not necessarily the most important <laughs> part of governing, but I guess what's next for him and the government now over the next four months? It's leadership, leadership, leadership. Right. Uh, and they've got the perfect um, interim leader and premier uh, for the time being in Hancock. He's very even-keeled, very intelligent. He won't do anything stupid. He won't rock the boat. He'll just get them through. He's actually, we've seen he's actually built some bridges with the um, unions. So I think that right now, it's all the focus is going to be on leadership, picking a new leader in the fall, and then uh, see where they go from there. Because he will, I mean, he just because the House isn't sitting doesn't stop him from from being premier and from running the government. I mean, last summer, when the House wasn't sitting, there were terrible floods, and that was, of course, Alison Redford's finest hour as premier. So, you know, Hancock, you know, if there's a keystone development, if there's an environmental disaster, I mean, he'll still be premier oh, yeah, and, and, and have we'll, premier things to do. And we'll be hearing from him, for example, we're expecting a decision on Northern Gateway by the end of June from the federal government. And I'll be shocked <laughs> if they don't approve that pipeline. Uh, and yet, yeah, Paul is right. He's still the person to go to, but he's also very articulate. Uh, he he loves being premier. This is a man who ran for the leadership in 2006. This is somebody who has uh, been a voice of reason within government, and uh, he is enjoying every minute of being premier. Yesterday, he called it a sad day because he wouldn't be able to go back to uh, the House for session and for question period. And, um, and I think he was genuine when he said that. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes he can be a little bit uh, sarcastic with us, um, but he I think he was genuine. I think he really does enjoy that. And you asked about his uh, future. Yeah. Uh, he plans on staying on, you know, the, as a member, do whatever the new leader tells him to do. And, and he'll uh, still be, well, likely still be a cabinet he'll minister. He'll be in cabinet. You, you can't go from being a premier to being a backbencher. That's not oh, true. Yes, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> You've seen that. True enough. 
sorry. <laughs> I stand corrected. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> someone like Redford, uh, sorry, uh, with uh, Hancock, he's been in cabinet all, all the time, and he's very well respected, and no one's out to, to force him Well, and he cabinet. still has his, his uh, portfolio advanced in a, uh, education and innovation. And if he uh, maintains that, of course. But also um, the question is, will he run again? I think he plans on running again. Of course, the rumor is that he may step down to give a seat to somebody else who may not have a seat who's running for leadership. Yeah, and you, hmm. could, you could certainly see him on the bench. At, at a future date. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think... In know, the courts? In, in, yes. Okay, yes. see, when I, I when I think of bench, I think of, like, the bad child bench outside no, the principal's office No, no, I, I, don't mean that, I don't mean that bench, and I don't mean, you know, that the, the, the coach is going to bench him. I meant, you know, like, in the court of Queen's bench. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> do we have anything new, or are we done? No. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, let's wrap there and go to good stuff from the gallery. That's our weekly suggestion for a story, TV item, or audio experience that our political-loving listeners might enjoy. Um, I'd like to remind all our listeners that we'd love to include a weekly suggestion from one of you. Our segments have been pretty jam-packed the last few weeks, but we'd like to bring this back again now that, you know, we'll have things maybe a bit more relaxed and we'll have a bit more time. So good stuff from the gallery. Marion, would you like to start us off? Okay, sure, I can do that. So my suggestion for the week is in the May uh, 2014 issue of The Walrus. It is um, a story about uh, Jason Kenney, and it's called, sorry, the title is True, Flipping True Blue, Blue by Marcy McDonald. Um, and it's basically just talking about uh, Jason Kenney's uh, 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 conservative leadership aspirations and, and, and whether his politics would work with that. Okay. Thank you. That sounds that sounds good. And Jason Kenney, of course, I've been interested in what he's been up to because of the temporary foreign worker issue and uh, you know what what was is happening in that portfolio. And yeah. certainly, he's he's had a busy few weeks. And he's he can be sort of polarizing um, um, in the public, but he's also he's also really well liked by his uh, uh, colleagues on the Hill. Uh, he's just a, a an interesting figure. I want, I'm going to read that. I, I don't. I want to know more about him. Um, Graham, what about you? Good stuff from the gallery uh, for us. Quickly, it was an uh, article in New Yorker a few weeks ago on Cesar Chavez. So maybe a generational thing, because um, he was um, he organized uh, the farm workers in uh, California, like going 40, 50 years ago, um, and the article's about uh, how he did a disservice to his own his own dream, his own cause by he sort of. Had a Christ complex and some of the problems he had with this. Found it really interesting because it was a big issue back in the 60s and 70s. Also, it reminded me of just I'm going to the segue here to farm workers in in Alberta who been, still aren't organized. They are, yeah, they are not covered by our province's uh, health and safety legislation um, in terms of labor code and in terms of the right to refuse unsafe work, the right to know what was unsafe, the, the right to go get overtime and vacation pay. They have none of those rights in Alberta. Um, if they get injured on a job, unless their workers, uh, their employees actually got them under uh, workers' compensation, they've got to sue for compensation of some kind. As, and the thing is, Redford and the government has promised under when she was leader that they would actually get uh, coverage. Hancock keeps saying, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it. It's been three years now, the government looking at it in Alberta, and they still have not acted on it. Is that something they could do through regulation, or does it have to be changed legislation? They have to bring them under the legislation. They could do, yeah, they could do it relatively easily. Every other worker, basically, in the province is covered. Um, every other 
farm worker in the country is covered. They could do it really quickly here, but they refuse to do it because of political uh, ramifications. They're afraid of losing support in rural Alberta. And what's that? St- what's the article called in the New Yorker? Sorry, here. just on. Um, it's called, um, it's, it's on Cesar Chavez. It's by Nathan Heller. It's called um, Hunger Artist. Okay, we'll put a link to that up. For my good stuff from the gallery, I'm going to kind of recommend a topic more, but I will post a couple different links. Um, I've been really interested to watch what's happening with the federal bill C-33. This was a uh, bill that was supposed to revamp First Nations education. We know in Alberta that's really important. First Nations schools, on-reserve schools, are underfunded because they fall under the federal umbrella. Um, a bundle of uh, amendments were been propo- changes had been proposed, but so controversial and uh, such a divisive issue that we saw uh, Assembly of First Nations uh, leader Sean Atlio resign over this when it looked like he was uh, going to lose the backing of his uh, some of his colleagues over his support of this act. I'm really going to watch and see what happens with this. I, I think it's tragic in some ways that this has failed. I want to also know more about how Alberta First Nations leaders feel about this. Now, the articles I'm going to recommend don't uh, specify how Al- where Alberta stands in this, um, but I think it's worth reading and us paying attention to. So I'll put up uh, links to articles from the Globe and Mail and from uh, Post Media on that. Paula, what's your good stuff? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I first mentioned an American academic. Uh, she's a sociologist of technology and a media theorist named Zainab Turkekci. She's originally from Turkey, um, and I had uh, recommended a piece that she'd written about the impact of Twitter on politics. Uh, but I wanted to recommend another piece by her this week. It's in Medium.com, and it's called Hashtag Bring Back Our Girls and the Complexities of Attention. And it is absolutely the best essay I've seen on the complexities of the abduction by the Islamic fundamentalist Boko Haram of more than 200 Nigerian schoolgirls. It doesn't just look at the geopolitics of Islamic fundamentalism in Nigeria and the sort of uh, soft simmer civil war that's been going on there for years, but it looks at what is the impact when uh, a crisis far away in Nigeria becomes Twitter fodder here and a Facebook cause celeb, and what kind of post-colonial patronizing attitudes do we demonstrate when we try and simplify a really complicated issue as as the Twitter um, cause of the moment where everybody turns their Twitter avatar in you know in response to this and 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 asks the really difficult question are we actually giving Boko Haram what they want which is lots and lots of attention with that I can say we are done for this week at least Thanks to our producer and journal videographer, Ryan Jackson, for keeping an eye on our show and compiling the weekly video excerpt, which you can watch every week on edmontonjournal.com. That's also where you can find previous episodes of the Press Gallery in the opinion section, so the audio part of the podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Press Gallery, and we also post the show on SoundCloud and iTunes. We'd love to know that you're carving out a spot in your podcast queue for the weekly podcast. Thanks so much for listening throughout this wild few months in Alberta politics. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.